0: But uh, it's moving along. So it is, it is a new day. It's a new year. What God's doing in the house prophetically in the natural, let Him do it in your life also. If there's places that need to be renovated, just let Him do it. You know, there's there's some stuff sometimes that... We, I thought about that with the church. You know, there's some stuff here that it's like, oh, it's it's kind of cool because it's old and it's it's got some history and it's got a story behind it. You know? And then there's a whole bunch of stuff that was just old. And it... It needs to go. And sometimes our lives are like that. It's like there's stuff in our life that it's like, oh, that's, it's old, but it's cool because it's got history. It's got a connection. It's part of my foundation. But there's other stuff it's just old. We need to get rid of it and say, God, I don't need this anymore. I'm willing to receive whatever new You want to bring into and breathe on in my life. So even as we're doing that in the natural, let Him do it in your life in the Spirit too. That's not what I was talking about this morning. But... Uh, you guys might be getting tired of seeing this, uh, this slide up there if things are getting better, but uh, I, I hope it's going to sink in eventually. I'm, it's sinking in me. It makes me excited every time I think about it. The, the problem I'm having with preaching a series on being kingdom optimists and believing that things are getting better. The problem I'm having is trying to narrow down all the good news that is out there to share it in little bite-sized pieces with us. Because we could stay and talk all day. There, there is enough good news going on in the world today, if you know where to look for it, uh, that we could be talking about all day and what Jesus is doing. And again, I mentioned this last week. This is not necessarily a series on how to help people process and deal with painful situations. Because there still are bad things that happen in the world, right? Anybody knows somebody that's going through a rough patch right now? There are still ups and downs. We need the body. We need the word. Okay, so that, that is part of dealing. Everybody say, I need the body. I need the body. And yes. I need the word. So, so there are things, there are difficulties we will go through that we need to be with each other and help lift each other up. Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. But what we've been doing with this series is overall our outlook, where we think the world is going, where we think the church is going, what Jesus is doing in the earth today to get our eyes on that, to lift up our viewpoint a little bit and see that it is getting better, that the kingdom is prevailing. Keep our eyes on Jesus in the big picture. Uh, so the last few weeks, just to recap what we've been talking about, we laid out the case that Scripture promises that things are getting better. You, you can go back and listen to the other sermons. I'm not going to repreach them, but scripturally, things are getting better. Uh, we said that Christians should be optimists. We just have to keep our eyes on the big picture and what Jesus is doing. If if, if you're looking at two people to follow in the world, and one of them is saying, "Follow me. Things are going to get worse. It's going to be miserable, but we'll be together." Is that a good message? How about somebody says, follow me? I know the answer. I I know the man that died and made it possible for everything to be. he won a complete victory on the cross. Follow me and it's going to be awesome. That's the message the church is supposed to have. We are supposed to be bearers of good news. We have a testimony to share into the world. We have we talked about this a little bit. Light and dark cannot coexist when when the light comes. what does the darkness do? It flees. How right. I many of you have ever heard somebody of those stand up and say, well, as the light gets brighter, the dark gets darker. Yep. Pretty sure the Bible says as the light gets lighter, the darkness flees. So look, look at your neighbor and say, just shine. just shine. You want an answer for the darkness that's in, in the world today. You're it. That's Start right. shining and the darkness has to flee. It cannot coexist. It doesn't. You know, we didn't turn the lights on the sanctuary this morning. And then Bill says, oh. You know, hey, ushers, it got really, really dark back there in the corner as soon as we turned the lights on. Can we go take care? As soon as the lights came on, the darkness left this place. That's what God is doing in the world. Yes, there is still work to do, but we need to have an optimistic outlook and confession because we know the answer. Uh, last week was an interesting one. We talked about the good old days weren't really that good. We, we looked at some actual data from you know, anybody ever hear anybody say, oh, if I could have just been alive when Jesus was alive, it would have been so what? No, it's pretty much any period before now in history was a pretty crummy time to be alive. We, we are living in good days right now, and they are promised to get better in Scripture. God takes us from glory to glory. He promises increase of his government and peace will not end. So last week we said the good old days weren't really that good. We shared some stats regarding the gospel. And, and and getting us an optimistic outlook of the gospel, there are 2.1 billion. Everybody say billion. billion. There are 2.1 billion Christians on the earth today. And they're, they're projecting uh, most conservative estimates even say within 10 years, there's going to be 2.6 billion. The, the gospel is increasing. We, we looked at a graph that says about a third of the earth's population right now is a Christian. And you're like, oh, a third? Well, that's not that much. You know, that's, uh, there's two out uh, of three still out there. A third is much more than where it started with zero. <laughs> when, when, Jesus, when Jesus came and walked on the earth, there were no Christians yet. There was zero of the world that had been won for Christ. About 70 years after Jesus had walked on this earth, there were still 360 non-Christians for every Christian on the earth. That's right. Today, 2,000 years later, there are two. Non-Christians for every Christian on the earth. Yeah. You, you just you win two people. Yeah. Every, everybody in every Christian in the world would win two people. Right. That would be it. It would be over. Right. So we shared some good news about the world's population and what's happening with the gospel. Uh, we said Colossians 1 6 says the harvest is evident and gaining ground. Yeah. And that's what we ought to be looking at. So today I want to share a little bit about what other progress has the kingdom been making. Uh, here's a couple quotes for you. Uh, this is uh, Khalil Gibran. Who knows who he was? Everybody has some Khalil books on your shelf? You know, Rod. Ah, I didn't know this, but he was like the, the third largest selling poet behind Shakespeare. Uh, so he lived in the 1830s to 1920, somewhere in there. Khalil Gibran, he said this. The optimist sees the rose and not its thorns. The pessimist stares at the thorns, oblivious of the rose. What are we focused on and what's happening in life? Are we looking at the thorns? Are we looking at, oh, the devil's really having his way over there? Or are we looking at what Jesus is doing? That, that, that is good theology right there. And Khalil wasn't even a Christian. He was, he was a Baha'i, but he struck a vein of something there that is gospel truth. We need to have our eyes focused on what Jesus is doing. The Scripture tells us, keep our eyes on Jesus. Who is He? The author and the perfecter of our faith. That's who we need to be looking at. Keep our eyes fixed on heaven. There are things that we are supposed to be looking at that we are called and obligated as Christians to be focused on. Think about this, this statement right there. That could have been the story of Peter walking on the water. Yep. Come on. Yep. The, the pessimist sees the waves and the storm yep. and starts to sink. The optimist says, you know what? Things are getting better because the answer's here. Amen. I'm going to yeah. keep my eyes fixed on Jesus and everything yeah. is going to be okay. Yeah. That's what we're called to do in the world. We're called to look at where is Jesus at work? What is he doing that I can keep my eyes on him? And then, no matter what starts swirling around me, no matter what tries to distract me, I see him. I know it's going to be better because the answer's here with me. How about uh, this cartoon, the next slide? He's, the guy's looking at a book in the bookstore. It says Break the Cycle of Negative Thinking. And he says, I'd read it, but it probably wouldn't do me any good. <laughs> And those of you that didn't get that, you're like thinking, no. How many of you know as Christians we need to break the cycle of negative thinking? Yeah. There yeah. there is some negative thinking that happens and it starts to take root in our minds, and what does negative thinking do? Negative thinking begins to become negative confession. What does negative confession become? Reality. Because yeah. you have authority. You you have the power and the authority of Jesus Christ resting upon you. The power of life and death is in your tongue. And if you let negative thinking begin to produce negative speaking, it's going to produce negative outcomes. That's right. That's right. That's a good word right there, Pastor Chris. I'll try to think better. You know the best way to think better? Start reading this book. <laughs> And and come into agreement with what God says is is happening in the world and the power that He has? How about this one? Here's here's another guy that's not even a Christian. Bill Gates. This This was in this year's annual letter from the Gates Foundation. It says, by almost any measure, the world is better than it ever has been. If someone who's not a Christian can say that and have that outlook on life, and we have such fantastic promises... We have all the riches of heaven at our disposal. Right. Should we not at least have some better outlook to share yeah. with people yeah. than even what a non-Christian could come up with? Yeah. That's right. See, some of you are thinking, well, Bill Gates, of course he can say that. He's got billions. <laughs> good. He said that good. because he does all this work with their foundation. They, they give away more money than I've ever made in my life every oh. year. And they go firsthand to these other countries and they see, where have I invested my money? We are expecting these results. What are we seeing transformed in the investment we're making? And he's been on the ground in these places where he can say, by any measure, the world is better than it ever has been. Poverty is going down. The, The diseases are being eradicated. There's all these things that are happening. Food is being taken to the world. It is getting better. In fact, that was the subject of his whole letter this year was how awful it is to be a pessimist and that we ought to have an optimistic outlook. He says in the letter, he says it's actually, there is work to do. It's hard. It doesn't happen on its own. But if you have a pessimistic outlook, you're not going to do anything about it. You're going to stay stuck and you're going to stay in a place where it is going to get worse. So, yes, it probably is easier to say that when you're a billionaire, but it doesn't make it less true. So... uh, and uh, the next slide, this is this a quote I posted on Facebook a couple weeks ago, but I, I thought it was true and worth repeating to us. Any doctrine, outlook, or expectation that includes things getting worse or the devil getting stronger undermines the eternally settled, complete, and utter victory of the cross of Christ. Yeah. If we think the devil's going to win, what does that say about our view of the cross? Right. If we think... Uh, how about not even win? If we just think... Oh, well, the devil's getting more power. He's going to make more inroads and the darkness is going to get darker. What does that say about our view of the cross? We we are actually fighting from a place of victory already. That is, that is part of the secret of the gospel. You know, we, we come to these prayer meetings and we have these, these intercession times and people are like, oh, we've got a breakthrough. We've got to war for the victory. How about we're warring from the victory? That's, that's the place we start. It's not a matter of, a, I have to build up and tough it out. Good Joe, if we, just pray, if we have enough tears to actually soak the carpet a little bit, then God will really come through and, and we'll win. We'll, how about we start from the standpoint of Jesus already won. I don't know why I don't see it in its fullness and completion here yet, but I know he already won. It's settled. He actually said it is finished on the cross. He didn't say I, I gave it a good start and you guys take it from here. He said he said it is finished. That's the place we're starting from. Anything other any other outlook that we have. It says it's gonna get worse. It says the devil's winning. Jesus, Jesus is gonna to have to beat the devil again, it undermines the cross. That's right. Can we That's please right. stop doing that? Yeah. yeah. All right. Here's a good scripture for you. James chapter one, verse sixteen says this do not be deceived, my dear brothers. So he's he's not wanting you to have the wool pulled over your eyes. Right. Don't be deceived about this. He says, Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows Everybody say every yummy you know gifts every means means all of them (laughs) means every God is the giver of every good gift. So if it produces the fruit of heaven or the fruit of his kingdom, if it it eradicates poverty, if it extends life, if it releases salvation, if it produces wholeness in people, if it cures diseases, it came from the father. It's a good gift. Whether people acknowledged him for it or not is a whole nother debate. But if it was a good gift, it came from him because there is no other source for good gifts to come into the world. Every, every. We just said the word every to each other and we said it means all of them. So if it is a good gift at work and operating in the earth today, it came from the Father. That big stone in my gallbladder last year was not a good gift. OK, that that didn't come from the father. How many of you? Come on, there is easy litmus test. You don't have to be like super duper discerner to know if something's a good gift or not. OK, you, you look at the fruit it's producing in your life. I knew Oh, there was so much. That was almost a year ago today. I, I'm like thinking this is like some other person's story that went through all that. But I'm, I'm laying there in pain, needing to go into surgery. I didn't need discernment to say this is not a good gift. <laughs> It hasn't gone away by prayer yet, so I am going to go get somebody to get rid of this gift because it's not from the Father. I don't want to keep it. So that's how we deal with some things. Sometimes we pray them away and sometimes God gives wisdom to the doctors and they take them away too. But it was not a good gift and I didn't want it. But good gifts we need to receive and give Him glory for it. How about this? In 1 Corinthians 15, it says this in verse 25. He must reign, it's talking about Jesus, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The, the mirror translation of that verse says his dominion is destined to subdue all hostility and contradiction under his feet. What's hostility and contradiction? Anything that doesn't look like heaven. Anything that isn't ordered exactly the way he wants it on the earth, his authority is destined to subdue all that stuff under his feet. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm his feet. Look at your other neighbor and say it like you mean it this time. I am his feet. Some of us, maybe, maybe you have foot hang-ups and you don't like feet or they're nasty or they smell. You are his feet. Uh, we are the part of his body that is subduing all of the hostility and contradiction. When, when Bill Gates says it's not easy, we have to do something. How many of you know that's, that's a true statement? And that's what Jesus is saying to the church. We have to do something. It's not going to happen by the feet sitting at home on the couch. The feet are part of his body. In fact, uh, the lowest part. I thought about this. How many of you know the feet are the part that's in constant contact with the earth. We are the feet because we are still situated in this place right here, right now, walking into the land. Uh, What did he promise to Abraham? He said, everywhere that you talk about, it'll be yours. He says, everywhere that your feet will tread, I've given to you. That was how ownership and possession was established. When God gave the promise to Abraham, He said everywhere you go and you put footprints on that land, it's yours. That's how you establish it. Abraham actually had to leave the tent once in a while. Can, can I put it a different way? The, the church actually has to walk outside of the four walls of the church every now and then. We're right. not, we don't put foot, footprints on Elliot by just the fact that we meet here every Sunday. That's it's right. nice that on? God gave us this place right here in the middle of the neighborhood, right. but that's not how footprints get put on the land. That's footprints right. get put on the land by actually going out of these doors and doing something about the condition we see the right. world in. That's right. yeah. Everywhere your feet will tread, and that's how his enemies get subdued. Yeah under his feet yeah. Jesus said it this way in Luke 10 he says you will trample yeah. on snakes and scorpions mm. now, now you could say like the apostle Paul when he stuck his hand in the fire and got the snake on it and it didn't hurt him you could say it that way or you could say that is the work of the devil snakes and scorpions often represented the demonic powers and Jesus right. said you're going right. to trample on them with your feet And then if if there was any further question in Romans 16, he says the God of peace will what? Soon crush Satan. Where? Underneath your feet. feet. There is something to be done. He still has enemies that he has defeated on the cross. Don't forget that. We're starting from a point of victory, but they're still running around here in the earth waiting to be crushed. Waiting to be subdued. Waiting to be put under his feet in that footstool. It It would I don't, I don't know a good example of it except, you know, maybe, maybe when an army came against another army and they totally routed them, but some of them still got away. You know, it's, it's like we took the city, we tore it down, we killed the people there, but a few of them still ran out into the, the forest or they got away. And you find them because they're out there still causing trouble. I'm unhappy about being defeated. How I many of you know sometimes you get angry when you lose? Come on. Sometimes you get angry when you lose. If, if you have any, any hint of a competitive cell in your body, losing doesn't sit well with you. Even even after 20 years of it being routine, the pirates weren't too happy with, oh, we're just going to lose again this year. How I many of you know you get angry when you lose sometimes? How much more do you think the devil is pretty upset about I've been defeated? I was made a public spectacle of at the cross. I'm going to try to lash back. And even though I'm defeated, He's still out there trying to make trouble. That's right. So we are subduing Him. We are the feet yeah. still in contact with the earth, defeating the enemies of God. So I thought, what are some of the enemies that oppose the kingdom? Uh, this is probably not an extensive end-all, be-all list, but poverty, sin, sickness, and death. That's that's the short version of the list. Poverty, sin, sickness, and death. And death, uh, we were told, is the last enemy that will be defeated. So so this morning, I just want to share a few things about the battle against poverty. I'll I'll get in the next coming weeks to what's happening with sin, sickness, and death. But as far as poverty goes, we'll start with that one. Uh, Poverty is part of the curse. If you read through Deuteronomy chapter 28... The, the, the things that were going to happen to the Israelites if they didn't choose to embrace God, part of the curses that were released into the earth, one of them was poverty. Poverty and lack. That was in the Bible. Yep. It says poverty is part of the curse. Yep. Man. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, oh, I'm taking a vow of poverty? Oh, right. Right. <laughs> oh. yeah. I hate to tell you that, but... That's not biblical. How many other things in the curse would we want to sign up for? I'm I'm taking a vow of being routed by my enemies. and I'm going to take a vow to have all the diseases of Egypt come upon me. Well, why do we do that? I'm going to take a vow of poverty. How about you could say this, I have problems with being greedy. I need God to deliver me from that and make me have a generous spirit. But don't say, I'm going to take a vow of poverty. Poverty was part of the curse that was pronounced. You know, Moses stood there, had half the Israelites on one mountain, half on the other, and said, I'm putting before you life and death this day. How much easier could the choice get than I put life on this side and death on that side? Well, well, Monty, I'd like what's behind the life curtain, please. You know, I don't want the, the you No, know, death doesn't sound good at all choose life yeah. we, we need to walk in and embrace the things of life so if, if death if, if poverty was part of the curse let's not embrace that uh, Proverbs thirteen eighteen actually said he who ignores discipline comes to poverty there's something about if we don't listen if we don't let God correct us and grow us up we're in store for poverty in Mark chapter 14 uh, you remember the story Jesus uh, was telling him because uh, he was having some very expensive perfume poured on his feet they were all ticked off about it. Hey, we could have done this and that. And then he says this to them in John chapter, or Mark chapter 14 verse 7, the poor you will always have with you. And he says, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. So he's telling his disciples, "Hey, this is okay for this moment. Because I'm here with you I'm in the flesh. I'm right here. This is not after the day of Pentecost. I've ascended. You've got my spirit. This I'm here in the flesh. I'm still with you. Take some time with me. It's okay to lavish this on me. But he didn't say don't help the poor ever. He he said you'll have there'll be plenty of time for you to get to that. Take the time with me now. But he didn't say don't ever help them, And he didn't say your help to the poor won't be effective. You, you can help them any time you want. So as soon as Jesus left, I think an expectation was, hey, you'll get back to the poor now. I'm, I'm, I'm not here anymore. One of the things my spirit should stir you to do is to help those in lack and help those in poverty. In fact, the part of the fruit of the gospel is an abundant life. What Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. How about how about this one? Uh, Psalm 23, what does it say? God is our shepherd. I shall not want, and literally that translates to I will not be in lack. Lack is not part of the Christian life, and and please don't hear. I know everybody gets hung up about. Oh, he just talk about. Money? He's one of those prosperity preachers now. This is not just about money, okay? Poverty is, is not just about how much dollars and cents you got in the bank right now. Uh, lack is not just about what's going on in your in your checkbook. There, there is a mentality. In a, in a spiritual thing that happens where we grab hold of poverty it becomes part of our identity. Lack becomes an expectation that we have, that we encounter. That's not what God wants for your life. Uh, I saw this uh, Psalm 23 there, the, the Good Shepherd, uh, in the Passion Translation. Verse 1 actually says, God is my fierce protector and my pastor. I will always have more than enough. How about what God does for you? Ever think of God that way? We we think about a shepherd just being like, oh, it's this nice guy sitting strumming his harp with his crook off to the side. How many of you know they beat some things up? (laughs) God is my fierce protector. He is the one that's watching over you. He doesn't want you to be in lack. He wants you to have enough for your life so that you don't... He wants you to seek the kingdom and not worry about all the other stuff. Because he said, hey, you seek me first. I'll take care of that stuff. Yeah. What other stuff? The stuff we were just talking about, guys. You Remember that? You know, what are we going to eat? Where are we going to sleep? What are we, we going to wear today? That stuff. I'll take care of that. You seek yeah. me first. Yeah. Alright, so, what's been happening as the kingdom's been released the past 2,000 years? What's been happening with poverty? Go to the graph. This is just since 1990. Uh, there are almost two billion people living in extreme poverty. So when they when they say extreme poverty uh, in adjusted dollars, the world was these are number of people that were living on less than a dollar twenty five a day. How many of you would think that that would qualify for extreme poverty? So uh, extreme poverty, almost two billion people living there uh, in ni- as recent as 1990. Uh, as of 2020, they're expecting it to be half that. Uh, what's what's happened in that graph is uh, if you see up in the corner, that's that's it expressed as a percentage. So in 1990, almost 45% of the entire population of the world was living in extreme poverty. I'm, I'm making less than a dollar 25 a day, or existing on that, because that's that's not living, that's existing. You know, when when you're only got a dollar 25 a day. And uh, what's happened is it's gone down to less than 20%. It's almost in half. Now, that's good news. Yeah. That's the kingdom producing fruit in the world, whether or not the people er- eradicating poverty or are always acknowledging God. It's a yeah. good gift that's coming from him right. and, and it is the kingdom being released. Now, I also said there's still work to do because yeah. even as good news as that graph is, that still means there's almost a billion people right. still living in extreme poverty in the right. world today. Right. That we are called part of the job of the church. I don't, I don't care how it gets done. I want God to get glory for it. And I think that happens more frequently as the church does it. Yeah. But there, there right. is still work to do of eliminating poverty in the world today. Uh, here's another graph for you. Just because I like, I'm a nerdy engineer and I like showing graphs. Uh, this is the global per capita income in adjusted dollars for today. So, like I said... Pretty much any time period in history before now was kind of crummy to live in. So all, all through uh, since the first century, it really didn't move much up until about the 1500s. It started to creep up a little bit. Since 2000, it's, it looks like one of those graphs that you hated in math class in school. You know, What's that mean when that graph goes up like that so steeply? That's what's been happening just in the last little while. In, since about 1990 to 2000, it's gone up on this steep curve means people are producing wealth in the world. Poverty and lack are being eliminated and prosperity is coming to people. And that, that's in real dollars. Well, How's all that happening, Pastor Chris? Are you sure that's God doing that? If it's a good gift, it is. <laughs> call, call me silly. God, I, you know, I didn't sit down and pray and say, Holy Spirit, give me discernment. Is this really from you? Because it's helping people and it's eliminating a lot of bad stuff. Did this really come from you, God? It's a good gift. It's coming from the Father. Okay. Here, here is to go with that graph. Uh, since 1960, here's in China, their income per person has gone up eightfold. Uh, India's has quadrupled. Okay, so the, and these are places where billions of people live. Right. Okay, and and somehow wisdom has been released into the earth to allow them to prosper. Right. I think wisdom comes from God, too. Any other people agree right. thinking that uh, Brazil has almost quintupled? So five times just since 1960, their income per person has gone up that much. Uh, the country of Botswana. How many of you know could point to Botswana on a map? Or at least, you know, hey, it's in Africa somewhere. Uh, Botswana has seen a 30 fold increase in their per person income just since 1960. I think there's good things being released into the earth. Uh, This was actually a quote from that Gates letter from 2014. It says, there's a class of nations in the middle. So people have come up out of poverty and they've they've become at least middle class. He says, there's a class of uh, nations in the middle that barely existed 50 years ago and it now includes more than half the world's population. So some people have been lifted up out of the dust. I was in squalor. I was living in in poverty, extreme poverty, not just poverty. We... we (sighs) Our definition in America is so skewed. Okay, we, we make less than $15,000 a year. We are in poverty. Maybe, you know, in most of the rest of the world, that would be like, we make $15,000 a year. Ka-ching! You know, we've hit the big time. This is awesome. So, so we get a little skewed in our thinking. But what is happening throughout the world is God is lifting people up out of the, out of the dust and the squalor and the misery that is released in the earth through the curse. So some other bad things that happen because of poverty. How many of you know poverty contributes to malnutrition? I don't have enough money to buy food. We, we can't produce enough. We don't have the resources to even invest to produce. Well, what's been going on with food? This is what's happened just since 1963. Uh, again, that's not the greatest graph in the world, but you get the idea. It's going up. That That is per capita food production per person in the world. And uh, more recent data shows that it's gone up even higher than that. But what does that mean? That means that more resources are available to begin to grow and produce food for the rest of the world, to harvest it, to figure out how to get it from being a seed into the ground and then harvest it and actually get it as food to a person that they could have nutrition and begin to be healthy in their body. Well, that's nice, Pastor, but is that God? I'd say that's a good gift. If, if you've seen the, the TV commercials, everybody remembers seeing the TV commercials with the little babies with the bloated stomachs and they're like, yo, starving kids in Africa and you get so moved that you write a check, whatever. This is this is saying that it's been working. There, there has been food getting to people. Now, there are still many parts of the world that are living and they're hungry. They go to bed hungry at night because they don't have enough food. But there is something moving. There's something on the rise that more and more food is becoming available to the people that need it. Uh, so some. Oh, I thought I wrote myself a little note. How many of you know that's part of the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. We, we said last week. How many of you say God answers prayer? Yeah. You can raise your hand. How many of you say God answers uh-huh. prayer? It's not a trick question. If, if you're in church, it's probably a good time to raise your hand. God answers prayer. Uh, do I agree with that or not? Is he? Yes, God answers prayer. Right. We all agreed on that. Well, last week. We said there's this prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray. And he said, Pray this way. He didn't say repeat it verbatim. He said, Pray like this. Okay? And he says, Lord, he says, Father in heaven, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. If God answers prayer and the church has been praying that prayer for over two thousand years, don't you think he's actually done something about it? How many of us walk around like we're saying this, like it's this magic mantra, like, oh, maybe if we pray this long enough at some point, boom, it'll all just appear. Heaven will be here and it'll be wonderful. How many of you know God answers prayer? And when the church, the people with authority have been praying that prayer for 2000 years, maybe just maybe he's been acting on it. There is proof that the kingdom has been released into the world and it's beginning to grow and increase and produce fruit. There's good gifts if we just look for them and we begin to give glory to them. But that's part of the Lord's prayer. Give us our daily bread. I think that looks to me like an answer to the Lord's prayer. His people have been praying it. Uh, How many of you know one of the other bad things that happens from poverty? It contributes to people being enslaved and being in servitude. Uh, Here is another graph for you. So this is percentage of slaves or serfs. So this is not just outright people that were enslaved, but a serf was also like, hey, I'm obligated to work my land and give all my crops to the king. You remember your government history? You know what serfs are. Um, So in 1750, almost 75% of the entire world's population was indebted to someone else. Whether it was flat out, I have been enslaved, I'm in chains, I'm, I'm working for someone else, or just I'm a serf, I, I'm obligated to give all my land and my crops, whatever, to the king. That number is kind of almost close to down to 10%. It's, it's around 15%. Uh, one of the estimates I saw said that there's 20 million people in the world today that are in slavery or some type of indentured servitude um, how many of you know that's still 20 million too many? Yeah, right. OK, but for that number to have gone from almost three quarters of the world's population to almost yeah. just 10 percent. Maybe, you know, that's the fruit of the kingdom. Yeah. That, that is a good gift from God that people are coming to the awakening realization of this isn't right to treat people this way. Right. This, I, I, I'm reading the scripture. You know, the reason Paul wrote to, to slaves the reason he, he said obey your master was not because he was condoning slavery. Right. It's because he knew his audience. He knew that, wow, probably there's a good chance that two out of every three people that pick up my letter and read it are going to be enslaved. So that's, that's why I'm writing. I'm not writing this to say, hey, that's okay for you to keep working them that way. And all I know is that's 20 million too many. So, so like if, if God serves your heart, like if you're into the, the end slavery now, stop human trafficking, go for it. There is still a great need to be met. And I think part of <laughs> part of the kingdom, this is so God is so amazing. That's part of why things were invented that get the message out, that get the news out. How many of you know that, you know, 100 years, 200 years ago, slavery was a, this horrible problem and maybe nobody knew about it. What, what do I do? I don't even hear reports of it. Right. You know, somebody has to write. Now it's like on the news instantly. And, and it's so glaring. Like what has happened to society? It's, it's so glaringly obvious that people aren't supposed to be treated this way. Right. That now as soon as the news gets out, it's like, oh, we've got to boycott their country or sanction them or, or send a rescue effort to start rescuing young women from prostitution or whatever's going on. There, there is so much more awareness now. And people are realizing, wow, that's, that's not right. I'll, t- I'll tell you what that is for, for your average person on the street that's the image of God that was created in them that might be buried, it might be put it might be under a bunch of stuff but it's in there, there's something stern in them that says that's not right. They, they may not be able to articulate that's not godly that's, that's not the Lord's will or that's not what Jesus would want but they just know something inside of them says that's not right. How I many of you know? Even something like end slavery, stop human trafficking could be an open door to, to share with somebody the gospel. Yeah, right. Just say, huh, let me tell you why that bothers you. <laughs> let, let me tell you why that's not right." You know, and and even if they're not a Christian yet, just yeah. beginning to speak to that spark that's in them. There's something that's stirring in them that that they know that's not right. I got one more graph. You guys okay for one more graph? I haven't taxed you too much and made you have flashbacks of horrible math classes and uh, poverty keeps people uneducated I got to work I don't have time to go to school I can't learn anything I just got to get in the field we don't have enough I got to go work 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 whatever poverty keeps people uneducated so this graph is the world's literacy rate from 1970 to 2015 Uh, so you, you can't, the important line is uh, in the middle there. That's everybody. The, the top, the red line is women, the bottom line is men. Uh, I don't know why, but for some reason they've kept women more uneducated throughout history. And we talked uh, last week, we talked about the Roman Empire. Women weren't taught to read and they couldn't run for office. Horrible time for women to be alive. Uh, so even as recent as 1970, in the entire world, the illiteracy rate was about 37%. And today that's dropped to 15%. I think that's a good gift that came from the Father. I think somebody needs to start giving Him glory for that. God, thank You that poverty is being eradicated, that people are being educated. I I had another graph that I didn't put up there today because it was busy and hard to read. But it showed uh, over history the number of years of education that people are getting in different countries in the world. Even in the United States, it went from about eight years or three it was three years and went up to 18 so it's like six times as many years so what's happening is people are able to live and get educated poverty is being erased to such a degree that it's like oh you don't have we don't have to have kids going to work in factories for 15 or 20 hours a day we can actually send you to school so you can get educated. You can begin to use your brain. You can, you can have a hope in a future for something good to happen to you other than you're going to have to be on this treadmill of work your entire life because poverty has kept you shackled there. So that's what's happening with the enemy of poverty in the world today. It, it is an enemy of the kingdom. It's being trod underfoot by... Jesus' feet put in that footstool. Uh, I had a couple things I just want to give you. I'll go quickly through this. How do we practically continue to defeat the enemy of poverty? You know, we talked about, oh, this is great. We're putting it under Jesus' feet. Yay, somebody's doing something. How do we practically participate in that? The, the first thing we do is give. That's, that's a good start right there. You want to end, it doesn't make sense to people sometimes, but you want to end poverty, give. Begin to be generous. Uh, Luke chapter 11 says it like this. In the, this is the voice translation. If you were full of goodness within you, you could overflow from, with generosity from within. And if you did that, everything would be clean for you. If you remember, Jesus was having this discussion with the Pharisees about, you know, do you clean the outside of the cup or the inside? And what do we do? Jesus actually tells them your attitude towards the poor affects the condition of your conscience. If, if you would just start giving and be generous to the poor, he actually in the NIV it, it actually says give these things to the poor. Give your stuff to the poor. And then everything will be clean for you. There is something about it as we begin to cultivate a, a lifestyle of generosity and sow into the lives of the poor and the needy, it actually affects something in how we view God in our relationship with Him. Everything becomes clean for me based on my attitude towards the poor. You know, some people, we see poor people coming and we run the other way because <laughs> it's like, I know they're going to ask me for something. And, and we start like, oh, I'll move my money from this pocket to this pocket. So when they ask, I can turn out my pocket and say, oh, look, I don't have anything today or I, I don't know what it is. But we have these hang ups about the poor when in reality, Jesus says we begin to give to them. And this is not just financial either. There, there is more to giving to poor people than just finances. If you're stingy, you will find yourself, because it affects the condition of your conscience. If you're stingy, you'll find yourself walking around in condemnation, feeling, feeling this guilt, continually suspecting other people's motives. Anybody, anybody ever find anybody like that? If you're stingy, you you always you begin to suspect that everybody else is after your money. I'm, I'm, why, is he, why, why are you asking me about that? It's because you want something. In reality, what it is, it's because of our own attitude and our own condition in our heart. Because we would be after somebody's money ourselves. We need to give. Where do I give? Well, give first to the church. We help poor people. That's, that's where we're supposed to be sowing first. Give to missions. Better yet, go on a mission trip and find poor people to give directly to. That's a good opportunity also. Look, look for people in need. How many of you know it's good to give to the church, but it's also good to find people in need and give directly to them. There, there is something rewarding in that. And, and when I say that, don't... How do I say this nicely? It's not about, here's $5 so you'll go away now. I, th- I think giving directly to the poor, if we want to really make a difference, includes investing our time in their lives. Hey... How many of you have ever actually had somebody ask you for money and you've done the whole, hey, can I take you to buy something to eat? Now, I'm not going to give you any money, but I'll give you something to eat. That, m- number one, that's, that's a time investment saying that you care. Number two, that's a motive exposure. <laughs> was, was the person really hungry or were they just like, hey, I make so much money panhandling, I don't have time to take a break to eat. <laughs> just just give me something or I'm going to move along. Um, When we actually invest in people's lives, that actually shows something different than just, here's money, go away now. It's almost like you're bothering me. I'll give you money just to go away. That's not right. But look for those in need and give directly to them. Uh, I think the other way that we practically defeat the enemy of poverty is to disciple people. Not just giving, but actually teaching them. That was actually part of the Great Commission. What did Jesus say after He said go into all the nations and make disciples? He said this in Matthew 28, 20, and... Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. There is part of teaching that needs to happen in people's lives. If we want to get them out of poverty, we will teach them. What, what? You guys remember the old saying, right? Give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and he'll sit in the boat and drink beer all day with his buddies. That's, is that how that goes? That's, that's how that goes, right, Joe? <laughs> You, you know what the cliche is, though, right? Because if you give somebody a fish, you're not helping them. We are called to eradicate poverty, not enable it. And sometimes the way we go about trying to deal with poverty continues to enable it because we're like, oh, here's some, some money. You know what? I'm going to see that person next week because I just gave them some money and they know they can come ask me now. What if I actually taught them said, Hey, instead of just giving you money, can we sit and look at your budget? Where's your money in? Man, Pastor, that's you're meddling now because that's, I don't have time for that. That's inconvenient. I'd rather just give them money and have them tell them no next week. Hey, can I help you make a budget? Where are, you, where are you spending your money right now? Hey, you know, that's not wise to spend your money on that stuff. Or it's not wise to do this. That's yeah. much more yeah. productive right. in someone's life. That's making a disciple. That's right. That's teaching them to escape yeah. the cycle of poverty they've been in. That's getting them out of that mindset. It may or may not change the balance of their bank book right now. But it's breaking that mindset of I never have enough. I don't know how to get out of here. It's hopeless. You know, I think that's why even secular organizations are having success at eradicating poverty. Because they don't just go in and throw money at people and say, go figure it out now. Hope this helps you. They teach them. They they say, hey, we will invest some things, but you need to learn. We need to see some results. We need to help. You know, we're not just going to throw money at you. We're going to help you set up an agriculture business. We're going to teach. We're going to give you a, a fishing boat and a net and teach you how to fish so that you can feed your family and begin to feed the community. That's why these organizations. That it's, It really is Christian principles, whether whether they say it is or not, whether they're acknowledging Jesus gave us the wisdom to do this. That is that is God's word in action. How many of you know you can get the best financial planning for your life by reading through this book? Wow. Look, it says I shouldn't spend more than I make. That's revolutionary. God, you're so smart. Teaching people it's the word of God and it produces every time it's put into practice. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, that's part of our vision for down the hill at the New Life Center. I eventually want to have classes and things that people could come to. It's like, how do I get out of this cycle I'm in? How do I, save, how do, I do a budget? You know, my parents both abandoned me. Nobody ever taught me how to, how to have a checkbook. You mean there's no more money when I finish writing checks? <laughs> yeah, it's like they don't have any concept or clue of how do I get out of where I am. And sometimes it could be as simple as I'm going to teach you some principles for life, some skills. You know, what if they don't get saved? (laughs) Huh. Um, Make disciples of all nations and teach them everything. You know, I think if you start making disciples, that will come. People will begin to realize, wow, Jesus is the answer. All this stuff you've been—you mean Jesus showed you that? Yeah, He's really good. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. But people, when they get stuck in a place where they're hopeless, they don't want to hear you throwing a track at them or preaching at them. They want to know how do I get out of where I am? This this really stinks where I am right now, and I don't see how to get out of the stink. Yeah. Let's go ahead and stand, and uh, the last. The last key to practically defeating the, the enemy of poverty we 're going we give, we disciple people, and we don 't stop praying yeah. that 's that's just obvious right there that, that 's that's, that's like part of every week 's how do you defeat this enemy is we pray, but you know we don 't always maybe remember to say it, but it is very practical. We pray, Lord, let your kingdom come yep. so I, I want to pray right now, and I, I want you to think of. I'll say it this way. It's, it could be you. I, I want us to think of an impoverished person. May, maybe you know somebody that's not very well off, or maybe it's you. Maybe it's not even financially. I'm, I, am, I have that poverty mentality where there's never going to be enough in some area of my life. I, I think my... Oh, it's like a big can of worms that just opened in my head. How many of you know you can have a poverty mindset in relationships in your family? My family hates me. They're always going to take advantage of me. We never get along. We can't, have, we can't have whatever holiday together because it's going to be awful. And this mentality of lack begins to creep in, not just in our money, but in every other aspect of our lives. Yep. So I want you to think of an impoverished person this morning, whether it's you or someone that you know. And I want, that, I want you to lift them up before the Lord as I pray for you this morning. I'm, I'm just going to pray through the Lord's Prayer. I'm not going to say it verbatim, but I'm going to pray through the Lord's Prayer and we're going to believe that whoever that person is, if it's you or someone you're thinking of, God is going to break through because prayer is powerful. Thank you, Lord. We come before you right now. You are our father. And uh, we even read this morning that you are our father and you only give good gifts. Every good gift that we could ever think of came from You, Lord. Every good gift was released into this earth because You wanted the earth to look like heaven. And so, God, we worship You right now. We honor Your name. We declare uh, that You are the name that's on our family. You are the name over the door. You are our Father in heaven. You are glorious. And we ask right now for whoever we're thinking of at this moment, God, we ask that Your kingdom would come and that Your will would be done. Lord, there's, there are so many things that are active in heaven right now that we don't even see on the earth yet to their fullness. And we ask that You would come to a greater degree. Lord, we know that in heaven there there is no lack. That there are glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that You would take those glorious riches and release them into the earth right now in the mindset, in the thinking, in even the, the practical day-to-day things that... that whoever we're thinking of, what they're involved in, Lord, just release Your kingdom into those places. Let them see the riches that are in You. God, we thank You that You give bread every day. <laughs> Lord, if it's, if it's people that are in literal need, Lord, I, I think of some of the people we serve with the food pantry and different things that go on. If it's literal need for bread, we ask that You would continue to supply bread every day. But God, even greater than the natural food, we ask that You would activate Your Word in their lives. That You would feed them on the bread of heaven, the bread of life that comes from Your Word. That uh, we don't exist just in uh, bread alone, but we exist from words that come from You. We ask that You would activate those words in people's lives right now. God, I thank You that You are the great forgiver of debts. And Lord, the same attitude that we have towards releasing debts of others is the same way we see our relationship with you. God, I ask right now for people that have been indebted, uh, whether it is a a physical debt that's put them in financial poverty or it's a spiritual debt where they've, they've been held bondage and oppressed by something. We ask that you would forgive, wipe out that debt, Lord God. thank you Lord that you died on the cross to pay every single debt that we accumulated and we ask right now that uh, our friends our family members whoever we're thinking of God that they would see that forgiveness of that debt right now that they would see the work of the cross and hold on to it God lead us not into temptation those those places where uh, we are tempted to look at our circumstances rather than keep our eyes on you God, keep us in that place where we fix our eyes on You. Let us not be swayed by the things we see in this world. Let us not give in to the report of the enemy. We thank You that Your deliverance was so powerful. What You did on that cross was so powerful and eternal to deliver us from the evil one. Help us not to be so focused on His schemes that we forget to keep our eyes on You. And God, we declare that Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It's all Yours, Lord. It comes from You. The glory returns to You. It's all Yours, Lord God. We declare that it is forever and ever settled that Yours is the glory and the kingdom and the power. God, I ask right now that